It's the TEH podcast, episode number 193. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So things are kind of crazy here. First of all, yeah. I'm going to um, um, uh, excuse myself. I'm going to uh, apologize in advance for any and all incoherences oh. and misstatements. I ended up um, doing one of those classic uh, airport runs this morning for a friend, uh, which uh. involved getting up at 4.30. Um, normally I get up at around, you know, 7.30 or thereabouts. Um, so I have noticed that today I am severely short on sleep um, and it's having interesting uh, ramifications to both my my concentration and my productivity. Uh, and like I said, it's it's been a kind of a crazy day going on here. We've got a bunch of different things happening over at uh, at Ask Leo World Headquarters. As I sit mm. here, we have um, uh, roofing work going on. Wow. Which means that, uh, fortunately, you won't hear it because of crisp. Uh, yeah. But um, there's, you know, banging and that kind of stuff going on. Um, we have an extra dog because the person <laughs> who I took to the airport was our dog breeder. And she um, is basically, you know, going to some shows for a couple of weeks. And when she does that, she often often parks an extra dog with us so that um, her husband isn't left with, um, you know, even more. Uh, so um, that's going on. Um, it's just, like I said, it's, it's kind of crazy, a uh, bunch of stuff going on. So like I said, um, if I sound like I'm half asleep or incoherent, it's because I am. Um, I wanted to mention this one, this one kind of made me chuckle. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, audio, deep fake audio, mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, you can, I think I, I played those recordings of myself where one of them was actually me speaking and the other one was effectively a deep fake where it was just reading what I had typed in, but it really, really sounded like me. But this well, is the real you now, right? This is, oh, well, is it? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, so what's funny is last episode, uh, episode 192, mm -hmm. um, I did not record as episode 192 mm. uh, due to a, a minor clerical error. Uh, I recorded it as episode 191. That's actually when, you know, when we did the recording, that's what I said, 191. Yeah. Um, Connie, bless her heart, uh, through some old school editing, uh, basically made me say 192. Mm. <laughs> and she did it, like I said, the old fashioned way. She found a voice clip of me, I think in that same episode, so that the levels were fine, you know, the same. And, um, uh, you know, the, any, the audio basically would sound pretty much exactly the same for that entire episode. Um, she found me saying two. And of course, two is a very common word just in conversation. So she found a couple of excerpts of me saying two, and she just very carefully placed the two in place of the one. Interesting. Um, so uh, yes, uh, don't believe everything you hear. Uh, like I said, TEH edition. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, now I occasionally do that for my, my shows. Uh, it doesn't happen too often, maybe once a month or so I'll mm -hmm. misspeak because I'm not reading from a script or anything. I'm just right. talking. And sometimes, you know, in conversational English, as opposed to prepared speech English or reading mm -hmm. off a teleprompter English is different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will say something like a word comes out 
plural or singular, and then it doesn't match the rest of the sentence because the sentence is forming as I speak, right? You know, something like that. And yep. so sometimes when I'm editing, I end up with something. It's just slightly off, and uh, and then it's like, boy, it's just, I don't want to go back into whole, you know, recording mode with everything, right? And re-record that whole segment when, especially when I said that same word like two sentences before, two sentences after. Right. So sometimes I'll grab a little bit of audio. And I'll just like make it work, you know, and I'll just just work with it, go down to the to the one thirtieth of a second frame level of the video yes. and <laughs> and like splice it in and move things around. And it's like, you know, and if I have to change the video or, you know, you see my mouth move, then all bets are off. Then I usually just re-record. Right, I can right. get that piece of audio just to be a little different. Yeah, it, it 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 takes me a minute or two as opposed to many more minutes if I'm going to re-record that. Plus the inconsistency sometimes. I mean, you know, lighting is different in the afternoon than in the morning. Yep, yep, and yep. I mean, all sorts of things happen. Yeah, where it makes it harder and harder to Yeah, it's almost something. impossible to, to re-record a piece of a segment. If I'm going to re-record something, it's going to mm -hmm. be the entire video just because of like oh, you say, okay, yeah. everything is everything is different. Yeah. Uh, but I've definitely run into the same situation before myself. Uh, at the end of my videos, I refer people to Ask Leo articles, and I do that by number. In fact, you, mm. you've seen it here at the end of, yeah. of this episode, of the end of these episodes, I talk about one of my articles, and I always give people a number to go to because it's an easy way if they're listening to be able to type in that number. On rare occasions, I get the number wrong uh, for various reasons. And uh, I have in the past... Uh, manually uh, overwritten, and I think Connie's done this too, uh, where once again, we will take me reading the digits um, mm. and we'll change the order. Um, and if you look very carefully, I might look a little, you know, fragmented as I, as I uh, am speaking, you know, if it's a video. Um, but yes, the copy paste is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it really is. So yeah. um, it's, it's one of those things where, it's been true forever, to be honest. There have always been ways to edit audio and make things, you know, fix things or make things sound like they weren't. But um, uh, the uh, the new technology has really put things in in simple range. And I just, like I said, last week's episode, if you listen to it, it's very clean. It's very, very clean. Uh, which I found uh, absolutely fascinating, and like I said, it was a it was a very good job on Connie's part to to make that happen. But um, anyway, yep, yeah, like I said, don't believe everything you hear. Right, Speak. and and it's interesting. There's a there's actually some news in this. Field. Yes, yes. Um, Apple uh, is coming out with probably the next version of iOS uh, a special feature. What are they calling it? They're calling it uh, live speech or personal voice. Live speech, personal voice. Yeah. So it's going to be an accessibility feature mm -hmm. and it could do text to speech, but you could train it to sound like you. Right. So yeah. this won't be like an app you need to get or a site or any of the stuff that, you know, usually, uh, you know, people like you and me do. And then most other people don't. This will be something that will just be on every iPhone. Um, you know, it's interesting because that makes me think, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago that Apple did this for Roger Ebert. Mm hmm right? They did yeah. the special voice. Mm -hmm. Now, basically, that you know, we've come so far, it sounds like they're just generalizing it and throwing it on every phone. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm really going to be curious to play around with it and see how well it works. Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, I don't know. It's definitely something I think I could use, not this year or even next, but at some point, 
it could be interesting to make my videos uh, using my own voice, but typed in rather than right. actually having to record and speak just because, and we've talked about it before on the show, uh, you know, how much easier that would be to make edits and to, right. uh, I don't know, just, it might be an easier process uh, to build things. So, yeah. and, and certainly there's plenty, I mean, TikToks, like, you know, a good portion, maybe a quarter or a third of TikToks I see have one of the recognizable TikTok voices. Yes. Reading the, text, the narration. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and they seem to be fine. It's like, that's, that's seeing it in practice. You know, I could sit there and watch a bunch of TikToks for entertainment for like a, a 20 minute period or something. And I'll see several of those and they don't sound like, you know, annoying, like old computer voices did. Uh, but they definitely don't sound human. Right. I mean, you, you can right. tell it's clearly an, an, an AI or an, uh, technological voice, but they're mm -hmm. just doing a good job and you become used to it. You, you, you know, you're, you would kind of expect it out of those things. It's usually, um, when I see those on TikTok, it's usually a dog confessing its sins, um, or, um, <laughs> yeah, complaining about its owners, not feeding it or something like that. Yes. So, yeah, um, actually my, um, my uh you know ain't it cool later today mm -hmm. it, uh, is a book but and i listened to the audiobook of course mm -hmm. and one of the things in the audiobook is often a computer ai speaks in the book oh cool and the person narrating this and this is a really recent book too so this uh -huh. is like like maybe recorded last year maybe even this year i don't know right um when the person gets to the computer speaking, uh -huh. they do a voice that obviously it's a human speaking because it's the reader, right. but they do one, you can tell it's a computer because of the kind of the inflections, yes. like it sounds like this when they talk and the computer voice like right. that. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes there's a little bit of a conversation that goes on and I, I didn't mind it that much. I mean, right. it's almost that uncanny valley for audio. Like yes. it was on the, on the robotic side of the uncanny Candy valley, which made it fine as opposed to being, you know, in the valley itself where it was like uh, a little uncomfortable. It's interesting. Some of the entertaining TikTok videos I've seen um, are actually the voice actors behind the voice of Siri and mm, one yes. of the one of the TikTok voices, um, and they will do uh, some interesting. You know, they will play some interesting stuff in real time. I think <laughs> the point you made earlier, though, is very true, and it applies especially when you're using uh, text to voice in any form. Is that it? Simply can't mimic. The um, I'll call it dynamic range is the wrong term because dynamic range really involves um, loudness. But in reality, it's the expressive range, I guess I call it. Yeah, that yeah, you, know, you and I will use when we're speaking naturally. That is really, really hard for an automated voice to to even know what to do in any particular circumstance. Um, and that's where where the automated voices tend to sound so automated. And yes, it's probably easier for a voice actor to act like an automated voice than <laughs> it is for an automated voice to sound like a real person. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, fun stuff. Hmm. So um, even though uh, my brain is um, running at about 50% today, I have started to dive into a topic that I thought would be interesting to chat about here because yep. it is um, up and coming. 
And I've been trying really, really hard to get my brain around it. And I had a breakthrough. <laughs> Actually, literally last night while I wasn't falling asleep, um, I, I, it suddenly dawned on me what was going on with this. And what I'm talking about is pass keys. Uh -huh. um, if you haven't heard about pass keys, you will. Um, they are the next big thing in terms of user authentication. We've talked a lot, I think, about passwords and password security and password management. And ultimately, um, I was reminded by somebody else, uh, somebody else's information that I was reading that, you know, passwords are like 50 or 60 years old, right? That the yeah. technology hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, yes, we've made them longer and, you know, we're storing them a little differently and we've thrown two-factor authentication into the mix and a few other things. But the bottom line is that, you know, username as password is still the, the fundamental building block of, block of user authentication online mm -hmm. and off. Pass keys are something different. And the use case actually is really, really cool because it is so much simpler. Um, there is nothing to remember. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that can be stolen. Um, and it just, and, and ultimately it is probably more secure than using uh, password-based authentication. Now, the, the light bulb moment I had, and not everybody is going to get this, but I, I know that you will, Gary, is that is that ultimately pass keys are SSH private and public key authentication. Right. So what that means is with S, so for, for those that don't know, SSH is the um, remote access to a command line interface to uh, Linux systems to Mac systems, um, other systems, I'm sure. But the bottom line is it's it's a remote command line. And normally when you sign into one of these systems, you give it a username and password, like we've been doing for the last 50 years. SSH, uh, for a very long time, uh, SSH, by the way, stands for Secure Shell. Um, SSH, for a very long time, has had this option to use a public-private key pair instead of authentication, uh, password authentication. So what that means is that the server owner, the owner of the box you're trying to sign into, places a public key uh, if, of a key pair onto the server, and then your possession of the private key, the matching private key, is what confirms you are you. Now, how that match happens has to do with the fact that public and private keys are this wonderful mathematical magic is the way I refer to it in the article that I'm writing. Um, it, it, it's, it's normally encryption is you have a password, you use that password to encrypt some information, and then later on you use the same password to decrypt that information. That's how you encrypt things, say, using a zip file. Public key authentication uses what's called asymmetric encryption. By that I mean you generate these two really large numbers. We refer to them as a public key and a private key. And things that are encrypted by one can only be decrypted by the other, which is really super useful because what that means is that if I publish a public key, which in fact I have, there's a public key uh, printed on one of my Ask Leo pages, uh, that means that somebody can use that public key to encrypt something that only I can decrypt because only I have the matching private key. That's why it's called private. Now, 
pass keys use the same kind of technology. They, at the server level, say Google, I'll use Google as my example, because mm -hmm. Google has in fact implemented pass keys. When you set up pass keys, a public and private key pair is created, I believe. I have to preface this by saying this is mostly conceptual because it's been really, really hard to find detailed information of exactly how this stuff is implemented. But um, the, a public and private key pair is generated. Google keeps the public key. You, on your machine, keep the private key. What that means is then that with a little bit of exchange of this encrypted information, Google says, hey, I'm thinking of a number. I'm going to encrypt it. I'm going to give you the blob. If you have the private key that allows you to decrypt this number and tell me what it is, you must be you. Therefore, mm -hmm. you can sign in. So it's your possession of the private key that authenticates you as being you. And what's neat about this is that you never have to type in a password. In fact, you never have to remember a password because simply having that private key in place is what does the trick. Also, the only thing that's stored on Google servers are these public keys. So if there's ever a data breach, hmm. well, it doesn't matter because the public key is useless. There's nothing that they can do with the public key um, to gain access to your account on Google. Um, now, there's definitely kind of a bootstrapping process for getting the private key properly stored on your machine. Um, I'm assuming, I believe with Apple, with Macs, they store it in your keychain. Um, with other machines, like with Windows, I think, believe they store it in Windows Credential Store. Um, on Android, it's stored somewhere secure. Uh -huh. And in all of those cases, it's not that it just magically signs you in. You do have to authenticate yourself, but you end up authenticating yourself to your machine. So with Windows, you might have to type in a pin or use fingerprint ID. I don't know what, what you would end up doing on the Mac. Yeah, uh, on my, yeah, on my Android phone, it's, it's fingerprint ID. But the bottom line is this is something that you've been doing already for a while and you have set up. And it's the same thing. It's something you are um, that then unlocks the collection of private keys that can then be used to further authenticate you to the various services. Mm -hmm. um, each device has a different private key. So if, for example, uh, you lose a device, you can then go to the service and say, you know what, invalidate that particular public key associated with that device because I don't have it anymore. And life goes on. Um, I just find it absolutely fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it um, deployed more. Um, like I said, there's definitely a, a bootstrapping process uh, to get the private key stored on the machine to begin with. But once it's there, um, it just feels like it's it's going to be very, very um, easy for people to to deal with. And like I said, they don't have to remember passwords. Well, so what happens? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so Go what on. happens if everybody's if every machine has its own private key? Yeah. So you have a phone and a computer. Yep. And so you want to say establish you know an account at a site. Right. And oh, the site uses pass keys. Great. You, and you're doing it on your computer. Right. And now you've got that set up. Now you want to also access that site from your phone. Right. So how do you do that? 
So there are there are two ways that I can think of. One is a lot of this is transitional. So many of these accounts, like my Google accounts, yes, it supports it supports pass keys, but it also still supports passwords and you know whatever other authentication. So you can certainly log in, quote unquote, normally in the old style, um, and then have the pass key set up as part of that process. However, what you're also seeing, and I'm pretty sure you've run into this as well, is that you've got it set up on your PC. You go to your other device and you start to log in and it says, oh, hang on, go confirm on your PC ah, okay. All right. that it's you trying to log in on this new device. And, and then I a new private key is set up. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And I think we've already been running into this because uh, pass keys have kind of been sneaking in for a little while. I've definitely been running into these scenarios where um, I will set up an account on a new machine um, mm -hmm. And it'll say, hey, go check your phone. For, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just respond to a message on your phone that confirms you are you. Um, and so this is something that people, like I said, are already kind of sort of used to. Uh, we're already seeing. Um, and that, honestly, if that's the technique, then um, it really, you know, a, a service doesn't need to use passwords at all. And the other scenario, of course, is that um, if they don't use passwords at all, um, ever, right? There's no password stored, no nothing. Um, they can always use your email address and say, hey, yeah, you know, hang on, we're going to send you a link. Um, click on the link and we'll set up the passkey because hmm. that too will confirm you are you. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, so if somebody were to somehow get your private key on your computer, mm -hmm. uh, it would be useless because they wouldn't have your computer. Um, so stealing just that wouldn't right. help them. Right. And uh, the big thing is, of course, phishing doesn't work because there's no password for you to give up. Right. You know, if somebody wanted to actually go and trick you, in, in which, you know, uh, if it was worth anything, maybe they would figure out a way to do it and get you to give th them your private key, which I'm, I assume is a long a long string of characters. Very, um, yeah, it's not something that you would, you would ever type, type in. in. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, but if you were still tricked into doing it, they mm -hmm. would get it and it still wouldn't work because that's only the private key for that machine you're using. They'd have actually have to have your machine. Exactly. Or it's like they'd already have to be in the house to break into the house. <laughs> exactly. Is, is um, yeah. Down to. And my assumption is that um, there's more to this exchange than just the private key, right? Like the private key is somehow tied to that machine, probably yeah. cryptographically, which yeah. means even the private key on its own somewhere else for machine A wouldn't work anywhere else but machine A. So as you say, you have to have the machine in order to use it. And if you've got the machine, well, heck, if you've got the machine, then all bets are off anyway. Yeah, I got um, the machine and the and the password to get into the machine. Right, uh, those are the two factors that protect you. And then, of course, that's that's uh, time limited as well. If somebody were to say steal your phone, and they don't have the passcode, mm -hmm. um, now they've got one thing, the phone. They don't have mm -hmm. the other, the passcode, mm -hmm. and you are still in control for a period of time before they could try to break the passcode in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is one of the reasons why I have a actual password on my phone, not a passcode. Oh, I, know really? not, I, I know I'm in the minority of people, sure, but sure. you know, I, obviously face ID makes it easy because 98% of the time I don't actually have to type <laughs> my passcode, Right. but I do have a long alphanumeric passcode, I, that, uh, uh, password right. that I know that I, mem I memorize. It's mm -hmm. random. It's randomly generated. And, um, 
And yeah, so somebody would get my phone, they're not going to see the little keypad come up. They're going to see a password field and the whole keyboard come up. So yeah, good Yikes. luck there. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, what I thought was really interesting is that, you know, this passkey thing, it's it's all new. It's being rolled out. There's a lot of, of publicity about it. It's going to take years to roll yeah. out um, across multiple services. I'm really glad to see both Apple and Google having embraced it. Um, but ultimately, I don't know about you, but I've been using the equivalent for at least 15 years in the form of SSH public key authentication. It's exactly wow. the same thing. Sure, for that, yeah. Um, um, and I did it not because, so I did it for two reasons with SSH. One is um, it's so much easier. I don't have to type anything in, right? I just double click on a shortcut on my desktop and poof, I've opened a window securely to like the Ask Leo server, which is an Ubuntu Linux server that I, you know, uh -huh. go in and do command line stuff to from time to time. But the other thing is um, I actually have uh, in the remote command shell service um, SSHD, um, I have password authentication just turned off. Um, mm. You can't log in using a password, even if it's the right password for that account. You must use public key authentication, uh, which again means that you need to be in possession of the public key. I'm sorry, the private key that matches the the public key on the server. So um, I just, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm pretty excited by this. Uh, like I said, I think it's going to take a while to roll out, but I think once people get used to it and understand it, um, it will be something that might finally uh, spell the end for password authentication um, in so many different places. I, I, I think so. One of the things I've been disappointed in and the, and the reason that I've never done a video on this, even though it's been eight, nine months since Apple rolled this out, Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, I just want to do a simple example, go to a website, sign mm -hmm. up for the website, mm -hmm. pass key instead of password. Mm -hmm. Almost every website that proudly goes and says, we're, we're, we now accept pass keys. Right. Um, they only do it if you have an existing account. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I said, that's why I said there's, you know, this is a, this is a process we're embarking. Yeah. On. So I'm waiting for the first normal, like some, give me some, give me eBay, PayPal, Home Depot. I don't know. Somebody out somebody, there yeah. that claims that, you know, okay, we've got pass keys. Allow me to go as a brand new user and say, I'm going to sign up and use a passkey from that point because I still have not been able to find one. So I haven't really been able to demonstrate right. how to do it. And I don't really know if it's that important for me to demonstrate it yet until we get to that point. Uh, the, so the article that I'm working on today doesn't demonstrate, but does discuss at this conceptual level that I've been talking about today, um, yeah. what how passkeys work, because that I think is the, the biggest roadblock right now is to understanding what it is, how it works, at least at a conceptual level so that people can understand that, it, yeah, it really is a safe thing to do. Um, but honestly, creating an account using only passkeys, um, yeah. that's like the simplest scenario of all. I know, it should because be. Because all you do, you know, you you when you create an account, by definition, you are you. So yeah. all the creation process needs to do is drop the private key on your machine and you're done. Right. You sign up for the account and you're now logged in on that machine because that's the machine you use to create the account. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I, I like I said, with Google, that's the one I, I've got passkeys enabled, um, but it's enabled along with a lot of 
um, other authentication mechanisms because I've got two-factor, I've got, you know, passwords, I've got all that, all the stuff. Um, but yeah, um, so hopefully someday a passwordless future. Oh, the I other thing so. I was going to mention yeah. is that um, uh, pass keys are unique to each device. So for example, um, and I think you kind of alluded to this, if you've got uh, pass keys set up for your desktop, and you now go to your laptop, you now have to go through a process to authenticate on that laptop, uh, creating a new key pair for that laptop. Mm -hmm. However, password managers are looking into sidestepping their own um, demise, because if we don't use passwords anymore, who needs password managers, um, where they become the repository for your private keys. So what that would mean is you would set up your pass key on your desktop. The information would be uh, saved in your password manager, mm -hmm. synchronized to your other devices so that the other devices automatically have access to the same pass key that had already been set up uh, by virtue of having it shared across the devices in your password manager. Mm. Cool. We'll yeah. see how it all plays out. Yeah, I just, uh, you were talking about a passwordless future. And I think it's funny how we already have a wide selection of science fiction, TV shows, movies, and books about the far future where you have people using passwords. Yes. And it looks pretty certain that that <laughs> won't actually be around in the future. So it's one of those, is, uh, is this a good use of the word anachronism? I don't know. A we'll future where like in the future, it will be like, wait a minute, uh, I'm in 2050. This book is supposed to take place 50 years in the future. You know, people are colonizing other planets and they're using passwords, but we got rid of passwords 10 years ago, you know? So it would yes. be like seeing somebody using rotary phones in a current time frame movie. Yeah, well, or just, <laughs> I mean, well, just any of the classic sci-fi, when you read yeah. classic sci-fi, yep. there's so much in there that it's like, okay, so they're traveling through the galaxy, but they don't have anything even close to the iPhone yet. <laughs> you know, or they, or, or they're the, the computer that they're using on the colony on Mars is the size of a room. What? <laughs> and you uh, think by okay. then they would be able to reliably recognize my face. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. um, something else I ran across this week that caught my attention only because we've been talking a lot about AI and I kind of sort of predicted this and I suspect that there will be more of it. The headline that I ran across is Pentagon explosion hoax goes viral after a verified Twitter account pushes um, basically a, a, an AI generated image of an explosion outside of the Pentagon. Now, on the surface, that seems like a relatively benign thing. It's an AI generated picture. It's, it's you know, you can do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It was pushed by a quote-unquote verified account on Twitter. And as we, I think we discussed, verified doesn't mean squat anymore on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Actually, it means that you got suckered into paying $8 a month. But, you know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, the But what ended up happening is that enough people, you know, looked, saw the image before the, the fake had been called out. And it actually caused like a dip in the stock market. Um, and it dawned on me that that would be a very devious way to manipulate the stock market. 
mm. right? Do something like this, have it take off, have the stock market dip. Um, even if your stuff gets called out as fake at some point, um, buy in the dip, uh, sell a couple of hours later when the market recovers and, and profit. Um, I, I just, there are so many ways that this AI generated image and other stuff um, could be used for evil in the future. This this specific scenario, you know, market manipulation, um, isn't one that I'd thought of before. I was more concerned about things like political um, upheavals, but um, but yet, you know, it's it's another yet another use of um, of AI to uh, to fake people into believing things that simply aren't real. Yep. Yeah, there's going to be uh, lots of uh, things to consider. Of course, we've already had market manipulation with fake posts, but you know, having the image or and video to back it up, yep. um, you know, it's just one of those things. It only takes a few seconds early for a dip uh, to be profitable. Right. Right. Yeah. And even if the market recovers, you know, there's no quote unquote long term yeah. damage, but there is in the sense that, you know, somebody manipulated the market and they specifically profited in ways that, you know, potentially would have caused harm to other folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a difference between, um, you know, a picture of the Pope in a puffy jacket versus, um, you know, explosions outside military bases. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. So more on on A.I., yeah. So speaking of uh, AI, so this is something I was actually independently thinking of. And then I went searching for an article and I found one and then another one came up. Um, and it's about AI. It's about the, the, the recent round of AI, the, the chatbots, the, you know, uh, large language model chats, open AI's uh, chat, GPT, GPT BARD. Yep. And uh, and and tons of other ones that are just, you know, most people don't hear about, you know, and uh, things that you could install on servers and get working and all of that. So what's interesting about it is I thought, well, these things just aren't very good at getting you actual answers. Like we talked about before, it, like mm -hmm. my math problems, you know, feeding it 50 math problems, and I got three of them wrong. And they were right. just simple math problems um, and it, facts, making up stuff like that and all. But what this type of AI could be good for is not doing things, but understanding what you're saying. So not actually providing the answer at the end, but interpreting your commands. Because mm -hmm. the previous, well, it wasn't really AI, the, the voice assistants, I'm talking, uh, you know, Amazon's, Apple's, and uh, Microsoft's, um, uh, or actually Google, sorry. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't really, they had one for a little while. Had one for a while, but yeah, yeah she, she's gone. She's gone. So, but those aren't really AI at all. They just are basically voice interpreters. They interpret what you're saying. They right. match that to a decent sized database of things and different ways to say things like asking right. for the weather. And right. then they try to do something based on that. And what they're bad at is just, letting you talk to them normally right. you have to know how to ask you know you could be convinced that siri does not know how to do something just because you're not asking with the right words and then you get the right words and it's like oh, oh okay siri can do this right. uh I'll, uh the amazon one i don't want to use the name if i don't have to so it doesn't trigger people's <laughs> yeah, devices because she's listening to both of us we've got one here in the room too yeah yeah so uh you know it it 
is traditionally it's seen as better. It's like a lot of people try to compare and say, boy, the Amazons can really do, a, you know, understand a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but they're both really limited, except that large language models like ChatGPT can totally understand all these different things. Like you can right. ask for the weather a million different ways, right? And ChatGPT will get it. Right. So maybe instead of having ChatGPT like listen understand and then try to provide you with the answer it should then be passing off the command right in, in you know as like the intermediary to the actual thing so if it's for instance a uh you know you you have your device that will provide the weather will provide the forecast will provide the weather and maybe 50 other things like what's the current humidity that kind of thing and have all these things and then have the large language model listen to what the person's saying figure out what that matches and then feed it to it so you can ask like what's the wetness of the air you know, <laughs> uh, going to be for tomorrow and instead of being like i don't understand we'll be like oh do you mean humidity the humidity tomorrow will be you know whatever and That's funny yes. and, and then the same thing with lights controlling lights and stuff and controlling switches and thermostats and all the other things that we're starting to use are you know voice assistance for or even just on our devices you know setting reminders sending out uh emails uh asking for what uh, you know appointments are on our calendar for tomorrow that kind of thing um these are all things that instead of the voice assistant's trying to be like, well, I'll recognize these seven different ways to ask this question. Just have it in kind of a tokenized form of like, this is something I can do. I can tell you your appointments for tomorrow and then have the large language model actually figure out how to match what you're saying to the actual task. And so there's another an article on this uh, on stock, Stack Overflow about this. Um, about you know using it for pattern matching mm. uh, and trying to do this and then there was an article about a specific thing about wendy's the fast food chain um going to test an ai chatbot to take drive-through orders sure. so the idea being that you know you ask for whatever it is at the drive-through and it will be a large language model that figures out what you asked and then translates that into an actual order because that's a very limited set of like what can come out the other end. It's right. just these items, how many of them, and there's certain modifications. Oh, no tomatoes on my burger, whatever it is. Right. Um, so it it should be a really good test model. Plus, it's something that today is very prone to error. Anybody that's been through a drive-through <laughs> knows. I mean, it is like, I mean, on a I don't know, a third of the time it's wrong. <laughs> you know, it, unless you're just ordering like I want, you know, a burger, fries and a shake. That's my order. Right. Um, but if you're, you know, auto, I don't want, you know, the we beans on the Mexican pizza, at Taco Bell. I want, you know, the 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 shake, but without the whipped cream on the top. And you, you can ask for a lot of things like that. We've and the the thing is, it's the joke is like, well, what is going to be? wrong we've we've referred to this as as lunch roulette yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i've i've taken sometimes the uh, uh some of the fast food places the individual items are so cheap and i go there so rarely that i've actually ordered extra items just because like if i'm if i go to a taco bell and you know there's some of the little so uh, soft tacos they're tiny little things mm -hmm. so i'll order actually an extra one or two of different things thinking that they're probably going to screw one of my items up to the point <laughs> where i don't want that 
but I a good thing I ordered an extra, well, you know, at least have two other taco. Things, yes. <laughs> I'll have I've got that. And I know I'm going to be like finished with my order and I'll have a meal, even if maybe I spent 99 cents more than I should have. So yeah, Insur- so that's a good insurance. Test. Yes, it's insurance. And it's just a te- they're just doing a test. I think right. uh right. just uh one restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, uh next month. They're going to test it, and it'll be uh, obviously a test. Will be a human there. Right. They'll, they'll be paying lots of attention. I'd love to actually order from from not that I go to Wendy's, but order from that one because you know your order is going to be perfect because they're going to be monitoring it, right? right. So there's <laughs> going to be a human there listening, watching, and it's you're so always it's always my, going to be right. My I wonder though my mm. the it's almost become a um, a joke, but I wonder if the the real problem behind missed orders misunderstood yeah. orders is not necessarily um the verbiage used or mm-hmm. the ability of the person at the other end to understand what you're asking for it's the quality of the microphone and speaker oh yeah they're they're horrible horrible mostly. and so there's nothing about this ai test that says that's going to be any better well, of right. course, it's going to be better on the test because they're going to make sure that the microphone's working really well <laughs> and all that. But, you know, in some of the fast food places have screens, yes. which are great for error checking because yes. you see the items come up. And if something comes up wrong and when they say, is that all? You can say, oh, no, that was a medium Coke, not a large right. Coke. Right. And But so many times you go and either they don't have a screen still – and right. I know with some parts of the of the country, that's rare now. You know, you'll find all updated uh, drive-throughs yep. and all street. Yep. But in some, you know, I live in a very urban downtown environment, and I'm sure if I went out to the suburbs, it, it probably the drive-throughs are much nicer. But here <laughs> downtown, it's like probably the last ones to you know right. get updates. Right. And um, and yeah, seeing that screen helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the microphone's bad, but I don't know if it's just because of accuracy here. I think the other thing is, is all of these fast food restaurants are having trouble keep, uh, finding and, make, and keeping employees. Right. Um, as so many times I've actually tried to go to drive-thrus in the last two years, granted they're, you know, the pandemic and all that, but there would just be closed when they were supposed to be open because they didn't have enough uh, staff to work. Right. Uh, and I almost always see uh, we're hiring signs everywhere. So, you know, if they could, you know, if they, I know they, te- we, we probably talked years ago on this show about automating, um, actually making the food. I know we, yes. have. I know yes. we did. Yes. Yes. And those tests, you know, I don't, it sounds like, Hey, they should be able to do that, but, uh, apparently, apparently it's tougher than we think, but maybe they're thinking, okay, well, like we, they can get rid of one employee as the drive-through person. Right. Uh, so let's do that. Um, you know, maybe they're thinking, this is this is uh, what they need to do, and it's not accuracy at all. Maybe they only want it to be as accurate as it is now, and, uh, or, and that'll yeah, be fine. And no worse is acceptable. Better is a bonus. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would assume if they would <laughs> upgrade the drive-through system to have uh, a large language model handling the order, you would mm-hmm. also have the nice screen and probably a nicer speaker. Right. And so they would upgrade the whole thing. So even if it was wrong. Um, you know, you could still correct it and, and that would right. help. So yeah, I, interesting. I, I would, I, I, yeah, I have mixed feelings about this, but in general, I think, you know, if they can automate something like that, um, 
And it, it's not, in this case, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, it's taking jobs away from people. I don't think so at all, because apparently right. they're having trouble finding people for these particular positions. So, so I, because you used the phrase earlier, um, I had to give it a try. I fired up chat GPT. Oh yeah. And, and I asked it, what's a word for the wetness of air? Yeah. Because that's a, that's like, you know, a, a really off the wall description. <clears throat> the wetness of air is often referred to as humidity. Yay. <laughs> I'm I'm imp I'm actually very impressed <laughs> that I actually came back with the right answer. Um that just seemed like such a bizarre description of it. Um but yeah, there it was. Well, um, I could you could probably test out ChatGPT. I'm typing in right now. Pretend you are a drive-through order taker and take my order. <laughs> 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 I'm happy to help with that. Welcome to our restaurant. May I take your order, please. I'll have a burger. <laughs> a burger <laughs> with no tomatoes, large fries, and a Coke. And it responds, great. So that's one burger without tomatoes, large fries, and a Coke. Would you like any condiments or extras with your order, such as cheese on your burger or sauce for your fries? Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, ChatGPT uh, is up to the task. Yeah, no kidding. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like Wendy's already has like 80% or 90% of the work done just by, by adopting chat GPT. It's funny. Um, I read the article too. And one of the things that they ended up having to train it or focus on mm -hmm. is um, their specific names, product names, and then uh, synonyms uh, for uh, product names that people end up using. What yeah. it made me think of was um, Tim Hortons because mm. Um, much like Starbucks, Starbucks has a language, um, you know, yeah. quad, and like my, my drink is a, uh, um, a quad Americano, et cetera. And, um, but, but Tim Hortons has this other language, like, you know, there's a thing called apparently a double, double. Okay. Mm. And that means something very specific. And what that means though, is that the large language model needs to have either um, additional training in those terms um, to make sure that you know they get they get handled properly i also wonder if uh, the large language model needs to be made a little less large so by that i mean um, that it uh, doesn't have a lot of i'll call it distracting information that might contribute to it misunderstanding some of the things that are being said yeah well, definitely. I just typed in no thanks to my my chat GPT thing. And it told me your order, uh, it repeated my order, told me my total is $12.50. Please proceed to the next window for payment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love it. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Me too. Hmm. So that actually is pretty cool, which is a great segue um, yeah. into our Ain't It Cool segment. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually not aware if people under, uh, are aware that this exists. We're all, I think, familiar with XKCD, the webcomic yes. XKCD. It's a very geeky thing. It's a very, um, you know, for, 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 it's just on point so often, especially from a geek level. Um, but if you're not a geek, or in some cases, even if you are, sometimes it goes off into some very esoteric space. And you might wonder, what's the point? What's the punchline? What's he trying to say? To that, I bring you 
explainxkcd.com, which is apparently, um, I think it's a wiki, uh, but it is some individual or set of individuals who do exactly that. You give it the XKCD uh, uh, item number, and they will then explain it for you. They'll have a nice write-up of exactly, um, you know, what the various terms mean, um, and, and, you know, how it comes together, and of course, why it's funny. Now, there's there's that old adage, if you have to explain it, then it's not funny. But um, in this case, I think that's a real exception because um, not only do you end up learning something from the explanation, then finally, when you finally do understand it all, yeah, it actually usually is pretty humorous. So explainxkcd.com. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I've I've uh, known about that for years, actually, uh, because, you know, the, the creator of it, uh, Randall Monroe, is his, yes. I think his name. He he's what you know you would call a polymath, right? Uh, he knows a lot about different lot. sciences, and oh, he's yeah. got a lot of interest in science, and um, and so that means that even though I enjoy a sense of humor and often get very esoteric things that he talks about, sometimes he'll go off in a direction dealing with biology or paleontology or something that's right, like right. I just don't know anything about that, but I want to understand. Yes this the this comic so then i i had immediately over to explain xkcd cool um so i've got a book to recommend uh this is a book called the resistors and it's a sci-fi book about a dystopian future but it's a dystopian future of abundance which is really interesting so in this future it's the united states united states of auto america (laughs) <laughs> because the United States is now run by an AI <laughs> and the AI is very efficient, so much so that only some people need to actually even work. There's plenty of food, plenty of housing, plenty of everything. So the well, the two classes are the people that that work and kind of enjoy kind of a higher status in society and everybody who doesn't work at all called the surplus. And they just live in cities and areas that are just filled with uh, free homes, free food, uh, a, a minimum like income that everybody just gets for free, uh-huh. and they're not allowed to work. Uh, they all have hobbies and do all sorts of things, but uh, and not everybody's happy about this because right. you could just be made un- unretrainable, and it's not just like you know fast food restaurant workers like that. It's like one of the characters is a radiologist whose job one day had just become something the AI could do. And now the radiologist was shipped off to uh, the surplus area and had to live basically in a basic home with basic food and all this stuff. Um, It's really interesting, but the book, that's the world that the book takes place in. Um, but the book is about baseball. <laughs> it's about an underground, <laughs> an underground baseball league uh, that forms. Apparently, Major League Baseball uh, did not play well with the whole change of society into AI and all of that, and was disbanded. And uh, so, as baseball probably would do in that situation, it kind of reformed around kids and families that still wanted to play, and an underground baseball league kind of springs up. Um, and it's about particularly about uh, one uh, young woman uh, who's uh, a pitcher and her rise through the underground leagues uh, 
and uh, it's it's really interesting. And if you if you like sci-fi and baseball, <laughs> it's like a double <laughs> win because you know you get to hear you know descriptions of games and how the players you know do things and all of this, and even some references to baseball history throughout. But it's also taking place in the sci-fi future with houses that talk to you and uh, and drones and flying cars and um, you know all sorts of stuff like that. Really cool. The resistors. I I have mixed feelings on your description because while I, I love the premise of the dystopian future, yeah. you, you lost me at baseball. Ah. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just gone. Um, yeah. I, I will say, I will pipe up that um, the, uh, this is cool from either last time or the time before the, um, the Bobaverse. Yes. Um, yeah. I just finished book three, not that oh, okay. long ago, uh, heading out on book four here pretty book, soon. Which is new. Book four um, is new. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and my wife actually uh, zipped past me. I think she's in book four already. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, that's an enjoyable series. We're having- we're It having is enjoyable series. And it's one of those, I rarely say this about series. I usually say that like, oh, it's good. I'd like there to be another one, maybe two, you know, or maybe what they've got is fine. The Bobaverse, I hope he writes a hundred of them. <laughs> I mean, it really, it's so enjoyable. It's like he can go in so many different directions with it exactly, and yeah. recreate almost any other part of sci-fi within his universe. Yes. And it's just, it's so much fun and so interesting and, and well-written. So yeah. Yep. yep. Enjoying right. that one. Yep. Um, in terms of talking about ourselves, our blatant self-promotion, um, I'm going to point folks at creating a backup image using ESIS to do free. It's askleo.com slash 29600. It's one of those questions I talk about backups all the time. I, I sometimes I, I hope that I'm not, you know, getting getting my audience too tired of me harping on backups. But honestly, yeah. um, the number of people that don't or don't do it completely or just never, never pick it up. It, it's one of those things where please, please back up. Anyway, uh, the point here is that this is an article and video that will show you soup to nuts how to use ESAs to do to create a complete system image backup of your uh, Windows machine. Um, yes, I understand the number one question after seeing this is, okay, great, I've got a backup. What do I do if I need it? That's fine. That's a question we can answer another day. You've got the backup. That's the most important thing. You've mm -hmm. actually created the backup. And if you ever need it, you have it. Um, so anyway, that's what I would like to point people at this week. Askleo.com slash 29600. Cool. I'll point people to a video uh, for me that's not about the Mac, but about the iPhone. Um, strangely, on the iPhone, you'd think you'd be able to do this. You'd think you'd be able to lock any app you want with a passcode. Like say, hey, for people that for for anybody, myself included, to use this app, they have mm -hmm. to enter the the main passcode or a separate passcode. Mm -hmm. uh, but but you can't. I mean, the idea is that nobody else should have access to your phone in the first place, right? You right. you have your passcode now, you're in and all that. But if you wanted to just lock an app, a particular app or a set of apps with a passcode, you can't do it. The app developer can certainly build that into the app, right? But there's no like default system level way to do it. But what's very popular right now is people are talking about this way to get around that using a trick. There's a shortcuts app on the iPhone, which is the automate automator kind of thing. You can automate tasks. And one of the things you can do is have a task automate when you launch an app. And one of the things that a shortcut can do is lock your phone. So if you simply say, uh, when this app launches, lock the phone, you can do that. Yeah. And the neat thing is, so if somebody say like, 
let's say a situation you hand your phone to a young child right. and say, yes, you can look through my photos or you can play this game, right. but don't do anything else, right? And then you want to make sure that they don't go to your messages app and then start messaging your friends as you, right? right? right. So you could lock your messages app. They launch the messages app and the phone instantly locks. Now, if it was you doing this, right. Face ID would just kick in and say, oh, there's your face and it's unlocked <laughs> and you're in there. Yeah. But if it's somebody else using it, they can't get in until they go over to you and say, uh, excuse me, I, I, uh, I, your phone locked. And then you say, oh, no problem. You open it up and there's the message app and you say, oh, trying to go to the messages app, were we? <laughs> anyway, I'll show you how to do this. And, you, and the cool thing is you can actually do it. Uh, like if you're annoyed by the whole, like it locks and then you have to unlock with face ID. Mm -hmm. You can actually even have the automation check your Wi-Fi network. And if it's your home Wi-Fi network, don't do it. Ah, right. Only do it if it's not your home Wi-Fi network, which means you're out. So that, right. you know, people like me, you know, 60%, 70% of the use of the phone is probably at home. So, uh, yeah, it just makes it uh, even better. Interesting. That reminds me of a feature that um, somebody complained about uh, one password not having. Um, <clears throat> to go all the way back to you know the password manager discussion, one of the features yeah. that LastPass had yeah. was the ability to specify on a per entry basis ah. whether or not the master password needed to be re-entered in order to use that entry. Hmm. So you might you know check that box for say your banking uh, credentials, so right. that um, you know before logging into your bank, somebody would have to enter your Vault master password. One password doesn't have that, unfortunately. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but I uh, just thought this sounds exactly like exactly that same kind of thing. There's some things you want to have a little bit more security on. And uh, yeah, cool. I don't think I, I don't think I could do that on my Android. Hmm. I think that wraps up another another week. Yeah. Um, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh193. Um, and hopefully there will be no editing necessary. Uh, it really is 193. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave it at the show notes page. We absolutely see it and read it and share it and talk about it and even respond. Thanks as always for listening. And we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.